Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is happening, gang? We are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling, and we've got a very special episode of the pod today. In the first half of the show, we're going to take a look at some of the happenings from the championship games in the NFL over the weekend. In particular, kind of a deep dive into some things that really impressed and kind of surprised Bill about Joe Burrow's game. And then in the middle part of the show, we take some time to have a really important conversation that I think we've all been having this week about ways in which we can increase minority hiring in the coaching ranks in the NFL. It's, it's something that's very top of mind and something that Bill has spent a lot of time working on and thinking through so it's a really unique opportunity to get his insight on it and ways in which the process and system can improve and what he he thinks in particular having just gone through the process with the bears of how the process works under the current rooney rules and then finally we wrap up with some of bill's fondest memories from the super bowl and this one we dive into super bowl 44 and we get three very very fun takeaways some not maybe that fun from super bowl 44 between the colts and the Saints. But before we dive into today's episode, we want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but with Bet Online, there's way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scored totals, players' performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website. To sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit, just use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just football. Bet Online's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From, from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one wagering destination. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. All right, guys, this is the Inside Football Podcast, Bill Polian, and here we go. We are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. We've not changed our name this week. Uh, we're not planning on changing our name, even though some teams in the NFL have changed our name. And I'm I'm doubting uh, my fandom. I literally cried on a way to the funeral funeral yesterday. Uh, I had two funerals of sorts. Uh, it is it is a process. I don't know what you're going to call it. Okay, so before we even dive into the show, Bill, if you had to guess, since you guys are you and Rick are sort of uh, English guys, there's very few three-syllable teams in the NFL. What what will be the short name for the Washington Commanders? Will it be Commies? Will it be Manders? What are we looking at? The COs. Okay, all right. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. I've been I, I actually been debating that in my mind since I heard the the, the, the name. Yeah. And the one that I came up with that makes most sense is the COs, which yeah. of course is short for commanding officer. Yeah. It's it's it. Uh, Manders sounds a little too much like Salamanders. We definitely don't want commie. You know, it's not going to go over big in the nation's capital. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Bill may have hit on it. I think I don't know what else. Uh, well, there's a euphemism that they use in the military for a for a commanding officer, which is top kick. So 
they could be known as the top kicks, but only military people would, would kind of get that, I think. Yeah. CO is, 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 is more universal. CO is the first one I've heard this rolled off the tongue because it's not like Buccaneers to Bucks. There's not a natural three-syllable shift here. There, there is not. There, there, there is not sort of a fractional part of that name that rings wonderfully well. <laughs> it is going to be an adjustment. What's amazing about that is they had all this time to come up with it. With you know, I'm sure they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to marketing firms to come up with that, and that's the, you know that's what they do. So, I mean, no, it sounds like uh, that would have been one of the you know like that was one of our names from the. From, it was. It was. You had the San Antonio Commander. I think that's where they got it. I mean, you know, so maybe they think it's a modern sounding thing from the league. Well, you know, I, I think they they had all kinds of difficulty trying to come up with something that was politically correct and neutral. That was their problem. And trademarkable. I mean, I think they had an unbelievable trouble with that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, who? I bet you guys never would have thought that the lasting legacy of the league was going to be the <laughs> Commanders being the name of the Washington football team franchise moving forward. You know, could be that or Sky Judge. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, so a little bit of a sort of uh, coupled subjects we got to touch on this week. Obviously, around Super Bowl time, it's amazing to kind of pick Bill's brain about some of his Super Bowl experiences. We've not dived into a lot on the show, the game in New Orleans, so it'll be fun to kind of talk a little bit about that at the end. But we wanted to start just a little bit of your thought process, kind of what you thought about the championship games, what surprised you, what stood out to you, and what was, again, another very exciting weekend of football. Well, I, I think the thing that surprised me most, because I just hadn't seen it on collegiate tape or NFL tape, and you know hadn't seen a lot of the Bengals, none of the Bengals on television, obviously on the network television, because they, you know, they've been an entity for years. Joe Burrow's keeping a drive alive with his legs in, in three successive <laughs> series of downs where he ran for nine yards or more was really interesting to me. And clearly the chiefs weren't prepared for it either because uh-huh. they didn't have a spy on him and they didn't change their rush lanes. They pre- presumed he's going to be the Joe Burrow that most of us thought existed, which is a pure pocket passer who was sacked nine times against, uh, against the Tennessee Titans. And uh, he saw that daylight and off he went <laughs> and, and, and in high gear. So that, that was, yeah. Not only amazing, but surprising. You know, after you're sacked nine times, Bill, you, you're probably lying in bed yourself at night thinking, there must be something else I can do here. Because <laughs> they're not taking they're not taking care of me. He clearly had the ability to do it. Yep. The other thing that was astounding to me, absolutely astounding, was that in the fourth quarter on the last two drives, when clearly the, the the Bengals had changed up the defense. They went to much more zone. They, I think they were in quarters, six defensive backs, maybe more. Uh, most of the time, Patrick Mahomes went off the air. And, uh, and, and I've never seen him do that before, uh, even under the worst of beatings that he took in the Super Bowl from Tampa Bay. He still stayed in the pocket, and he still, when he went out of the pocket, he tried to make plays. He wasn't running around in circles and backing up. He looked like Johnny Manziel, for goodness sake. And, and that's that's never – you've never seen that before. So the lack of protection 
really frustrated him and, and knocked him off his game. Uh, I'm sure that he'll recover it uh, next year. I mean, that's not what he's going to become. He's, he's, he's a really good, uh, outstanding quarterback. The other thing is that under duress in big games, quarterbacks will always look to their guys. And the interception that Bates made, I would argue, should not have been thrown. That's double. They know that Bates can run. And uh, uh, so he threw into a double and had the ball picked because he's looking for Tyreek, you know, to make a big play. So, again, they've got to get more diverse in their passing game so that they can get people, the doubles off Tyreek and, and, and off Kelsey. And, and if they if they can't, then they've got to rely on somebody who can make a, make a big play. And, and that person hasn't quite emerged yet. I thought that um, Cincinnati did a great job of, of, of running the ball with Mixon. And Mixon is, uh, Mixon is, an, uh, is an unknown, really good player. <laughs> Again, unknown because he's been with the Bengals and you don't see him on television. You don't hear people talking about him on the shows Monday to Friday where they talk about the usual suspects, Tom Brady, and, and then everyone else. Right. Uh, but the, 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 and, and Mixon's way down the, uh, in the pecking order there. Uh, what are they going to do next year, by the way, when Tom's not there to talk about it? I guess they'll do the best of Tom Brady. Gee, you remember the league when Tom Brady was still in it? It was really great then. Yeah. 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 When you get, you get to the point when you, where you're parsing and dissecting press releases that have to do with his retirement you've reached a new low i think a new, that's a new low the, the the level of speculation about roster bonuses that hit after february 4th was a whole new world of the nfl weird information i mean lord almighty it, 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 we got a super bowl coming up so let's talk about joe mixon and let's talk about also <laughs> with a with a conference in the afc i know we talked about this last week but what are we what are we in store for when Cincinnati's here now and they conceivably have 60 million dollars of cap space rolling into next season where you don't really have to worry about Burrow and Chase. You've got the situation in Los Angeles with Herbert where they've got tons of space. I mean, this could be a a murderer's row of Bills, Chargers, Bengals and Chiefs for a really long time. Well, don't forget the Denver Broncos. If, if, if in, in something fact, happens. They, yes. Yeah. If they acquire a quarterback of any stripe. Yeah. Uh, now you got you got a loaded conference. And interestingly enough, you know, I'm sure the Bills are not only brokenhearted, but kicking themselves because, you know, would they have beaten Cincinnati in Buffalo? I don't know. But it would, would have been a, a terrific football game. So you're faced with that. The Chargers didn't even make the playoffs, so they got work to do. But you're faced with a loaded, loaded AFC, that's for sure. But in teams with space to make some acquisitions if they want to in the offseason. Yeah, although I, many of those teams will be will, will be judicious. They realize that that free agency in many ways is fool's gold. I don't think that I don't think they'll be going nuts on the free agent market. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they do. They're all judiciously managed. The only thing is Kansas City has got to improve the the pass protection, that's for sure. I mean, the one thing you can't have with one of those great quarterbacks, and they really all are great, you can't have poor pass protection. You've got to you've got to solidify that that guy and be able to be in a position where 
you give him the opportunity to make plays, not what happened to Mahomes in, in the in the second half. Uh, great credit to Lou Anarumo for making the uh, the adjustments at halftime. Obviously, they had to have practiced that package. That you don't draw that up on the blackboard and and, and say, okay, now we're going to do this. Uh, they practiced it and 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 they used it and, and got it together. The other thing was that I thought that the Bengals had a bit of, of, of championship game jitters. The championship game in, in the first half, the championship game is different. Um, the the uh, Obviously, the Super Bowl is different, but the, the, everything ramps up in the playoffs. But then when you get to the championship game, it's different because now you're one step away. You're one step away from, from, from the Holy Grail. So, uh, or a step and a half away from the Holy Grail because you want to win the game. But, the, but getting to the Super Bowl is a is is a phenomenal phenomenal occurrence and achievement, and I want to talk a little bit about that because I hold a, I guess I hold a record for losing Super Bowls. But the the fact of the matter is that the media takes the losing team in the Super Bowl, throws them in the trash can, and they're worse than the, the, the two and fourteen team. They're awful. They choked. They lost. They, get out of here. That's completely and totally untrue, and it doesn't happen in any of the sports. The loser in the World Series is the pennant winner in his league, right? Their league. Uh, the, the loser in the NBA Finals has had a great year. The same with the Stanley Cup Finals. They come through this gauntlet, so say the media, uh, 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 and, and finally reach the finals and, and now had the heartbreak. I'm, I'm using all the cliches, of course. Right. The, the losers in the Super Bowl get lost. We don't want to see you again. Uh, one winner and 31 losers. And George Young, you, yep. that's right. And, and the biggest loser of all, all is the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Right. And, just... and George Young used to call it the victors and the vanquished. And that is not true to reach that pinnacle. First of all, the loss stays with you for the rest of your life. But to have reached that pinnacle is an incredible achievement. And you don't do it by accident. You don't do it by accident. For years, we belonged to a scouting service called Pro Scout. Incorporated, which scouted the whole league. They they were they remain to this day the most reliable scouting service there is. There are many more of them out there now. Pro Scout Incorporated caters only to to teams in the league. They don't they don't do media. They don't do any of that stuff. And if you look at the grading of the Super Bowl teams every year, and they've done a chart which goes back uh, twenty years, you see that in that particular year. The Super Bowl participants almost always have the highest performing rosters in the league. Now, over time, they may not, but in that particular year, they have the, the, the highest performing rosters in the league. Getting there is not an accident. You have to play exceptionally well to get there. And like Buffalo and the Giants in Super Bowl 25, it can come down to an inch and a half on a kick. Uh, you, you know, any number of other things can interact in, in that game. So, I want to make sure we give credit to the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not, not not only a good story, they're a very, very, very good football team, and they belong there because they earned the right to be there, and they had to play an additional game. Uh, so kudos to them, to, to Mike Brown and his entire family and 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 to Duke Tobin and, and to the coaching staff. You know, really, really great job, and they're a good team. They really are a good team. With that said, let's move over to the NFC. Really good game. Really good game by Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, if that's his swan song, 
It was it was a it was a commanding swan song. <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> I was about to say that those that are interested in him have better go get uh, uh, some more graft capital to give the 49ers because I think the price just went up. Exactly. Um, he played awfully well and I'm glad for him. He's been maligned very, very often uh, by, you know, media critics and bloggers and what have you. And, and, and he, and he's, he really did a, a, a great job. The difference of course, was two players that the Rams acquired at high cost, which, you know, they'll, they'll pay the piper down the road. But as Branch Rickey, who's the patron saint of all general managers in all sports used to say, the only one you can win is the one you can win now. They went out and got Von Miller and OBJ. And those two guys made a huge difference in the playoffs. Huge difference. And there's no question that Matthew Stafford is playing better football at quarterback because he's got OBJ out there, single cover, because they got a double Cooper Cup. And OBJ's out there by himself, and he's making plays. And, and as only he can do. And kudos to Sean McVay uh, and Kevin O'Connell for OBJ is a, is, a, is a freelance receiver. He's not a guy that you can fit into a system and say, you be here precisely at this point at the route with this many steps and so on and so forth, which is the, really the construct of the, the base construct of the, of the Rams offense. But you say, hey, buddy, you got press over there, go beat him. I'm going to throw the ball up there. He'll go get it. He can catch. He's got tremendous hands. He's got tremendous leaping ability. He's got great speed. Uh, and and to their credit, they've, they've programmed him and formationed him to where he gets single coverage. And he's hard to beat, man. He is hard to beat. And he made the big play down the field uh, that was coupled with a late hit that, that, that led the Rams to victory, really, when it's all said and done. Matthew Stafford's played great. He was acquired at a high cost, and uh, and 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 great credit to uh, to to the Rams front office uh, for for doing it, and and Les Snead for for making those moves. Uh, so the 49ers, I think, overachieved really when you when you come right down to it. Uh, they did have Kittle in the game, but he wasn't really the factor that he usually is. The Rams did a good job of taking him away, but. In the end, they protected the Rams protected uh, Stafford well enough, uh, which you have to do against the 49ers. You know, Stafford, OBJ, and Von Miller in the long run made the difference. And as we talk about what the Super Bowl is going to look like, the thing Cincinnati does least well is pass protect. And and you got to protect against Von Miller, Floyd, and 99. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I, you know, you know, the other thing about OBJ having having a scheme and a quarterback that can take advantage of that and get on the ball, because look at the difference between his last stop and this stop, Bill. Yeah. I mean, the, the success. But I got to say one thing. If I had a vote today, I know it's too late. I know it's done. I think Cooper Cup is the MVP of the National Football League. I mean, to me, everything from his route running to what he does, the way he blocks. To me, he exemplifies everything that's that's a, you could ask a player to do in terms of being a great teammate and excelling 
you know, and performing his job as well as it can possibly be performed. He, Bill, one, I wonder if you saw this or if this is just me imagining things. It also looks at moments like he's helping with line calls, audibles, getting guys lined up the right way and explaining what they're trying to do offensively at the line of scrimmage. That's true. And, and what a block and what a block. I mean, and, you know, sacrificing his body going in. I mean, just, I don't know, Bill, I, I'm, you know, I may be exaggerating, but I mean, I think he's a, just a great football player. Yeah, he is a great football player. The, 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 the interesting thing about the MVP issue is that according to the bylaws uh, and, and, and practices promulgated by AP, I'm a voter. Yeah. Uh, we have to vote at the end of the regular season, not after the playoffs, as opposed to baseball, where I think they vote at the end of the, uh, at, at, at the, end of the World Series, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and I, I don't know why we wouldn't extend that. I mean, in today's instant communication world, you can, you can vote and 15 minutes later, you know who the winner is. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's part of the NFL awards show that there's an issue there as well, because they want to provide content. But it seems to me that, you know, I certainly would have re- re- have rethought things based on, uh, because it was in my vote, it was between, Aaron Rodgers and Cooper Cup, and and so, and maybe Joe Burrow enters that equation. I don't know if if you take the the uh, playoffs into consideration. So, um, you know, but that's above my pay grade. It's just a it's just a a thought. But do you think, based on the playoffs, you probably would have changed your vote? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And, and who knows what's going to happen in the Super Bowl too? I mean, that's the biggest game of all. Right. right. And, you know, and, so, and some of it is, you know, during the year, you know, it's, it's such a quarterback centric league and as well. It should be that it's, you know, and you say, I mean, some teams, not the Rams, but some teams you don't even see, you know, how's how do you know what kind of blocking, you know, a wide receiver is doing if they're in what, not one of the major media markets or, you know what I mean? So it's it, but anyhow, I mean, I, I just, I felt like I had to get out there for him because I, I'm just so impressed by the guy and, and just the way he carries himself uh, on and off the field, the, you know, the quality the interviews that he gives, he's just, he's just exactly what the NFL needs at a time like this. Well, he's a great football player. And the, and the fact that he's such a great blocker that they essentially use him as a wingback. Yep. And, and by the way, when he's, ta- he's talking to the tight ends in that situation, telling them which guy is going to go first or who's got who in, 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 a, in a certain place situation. So he's very well aware of what, what goes on. That's what you're referring to. And he's a great blocker and a great runner after the catch. So, you know, for second round, for, for second round draft choice, you know. <laughs> One thing that is just, and obviously this is going to be an issue for me probably for the rest of my life since he was <laughs> in the building. With Sean McVay, I mean, obviously we're very early in the movie in terms of how this is going to play out. But do you think that in global theme, in sort of global themes, now that you see a Super Bowl that's going to be frequented by Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, who was with him in L.A., offensive coordinator, you're starting to see the Sean McVay tree. Do you think that this might lead to maybe a trend in the league where coaches are going to get significantly younger? And is there something that Sean McVay is doing that is just unbelievably unique at his age compared to other people who have who've attempted to do this. It just seems to me like, I don't really have a finger on it, but it seems like maybe we're at the beginning of a trend. Uh, any, anything on that? 
Yeah, well, I've just been, as you probably know, and our, our listeners probably know, I was involved in the Bears coaching search and GM search. I would say we're not at the beginning of a trend. I'd say we're right in the middle of it. Okay. Uh, it's likely that Kevin O'Connell may be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And and he he's he bears the title offensive coordinator, but he doesn't call plays. Uh, now he happens to be a really good football coach, but that's another person off the off the 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 McVeigh uh, tree. Now here's the thing with the here's the thing with the younger assistant coaches or the age of of head coaches. Let me put it that way. That's it's right. it's better put that way. Um, most of these guys come in. 21 or 22 as quality control guys or coaching assistants as they call them in new england and so by the time they get the coordinator status they might be 27 or 28 but they've had you know five six seven maybe 10 years in the league in sean mcveigh's case he's the grandson yeah exactly of the great john mcveigh yep who was coach of the new york giants and 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 general manager of Bill Walsh's San Francisco 49ers. So he, like my sons, grew up in a locker room and, and, and grew up in an NFL locker room. So um, they come in with much more, much more um, seasoning, much more intrinsic football built into their DNA than, than does, you know, a coach who's come directly from the playing field, for example. And, Frankly, if you listen to some of the minority coaches, they're a little resentful, I think, that some of these quality control guys come in early and they get jobs because of who they know and then they ascend pretty quickly. That resentful is the wrong word. They're just they were aware that it happens and it right. doesn't happen as often for them. Yeah, it's it's a route that's it's it's a route that's not available to them. Yeah, well, it, not as not as often as, as as it is for others. Yeah. Right, yeah. So we are in the middle of that trend right now. And, uh, you know, and I, I've heard owners who, who really don't know a heck of a lot about coaching say, well, you know, we need a young guy. We need a guy. We need a guy that really has a lot of pizzazz. One of these young guys that really has a, where, where, they, where, where they're revolutionizing the game. They're not revolutionizing the game. They're not, we're playing 53 and a third yards and we're playing about, 70 yards down the field because the quarterbacks from seven on seven at age 10 until 22, when they reach the NFL can execute that kind of game. That's why we're playing that kind of a game that that starts at, at the pop Warner level and, and, and goes right on through the elite 11 and all these other uh, uh, showcases and, and, and seven on seven leagues and so forth. So it's just a, it's just a reflection. Bill Parcells told me once, and he's 100% right, we are captives of what the colleges send us. And what are the colleges doing? They're throwing it all over the field, and they're playing 53 and a third yards wide. So that's, that's, it, it, it's, it's new, but it's not a new invention. You know, that, that's, we, we're just, it's just an evolution of the passing game. But coaches, head coaches are getting younger because they're starting in the NFL younger. I got into the NFL when I was 30, 35, I think, as a, as a fledgling scout. Guys come in now as scouts at 21, at scouting assistants, and, and they become personnel directors at 29 or 30. So by the time they're 35, 36, 37, they're 
in the prime in their prime as general managers. So, you know, it's just it's the entry level that has gotten a lot younger than it used to be. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's just the way it is, and it's probably not going to change because coaching staffs now are. 20, 22, 23, 24, 25 guys. I don't know what they do, to be very honest. With you, <laughs> so what do these quality guys do? So are they are they taking in data, sort of data mining? What are they doing? Yeah, they're data mining. They're, they're, they're taking off film. They're, 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 they're watching and charting every film, uh, every tape, and, and every blitz. You know, they're, they're diving into data as deeply as they can go. And they're assisting the because the all of that data means more work for the position coach. They're actually trying to in the best places. They're trying to winnow that down and simplify it so the position coach gets a clear view of what the opponent looks like without being inundated with data. And then you got the analytics people who who work sometimes side by side with those coaching assistants and other times not. You know, sometimes in in opposition to them, uh, the most the most non-functional franchise franchises are where the analytics people are are at, at odds with the with the coaching staff. But the fact is that this trend has has been going along for a long time. It's, it's our twenty plus coaching people coaching staffs have been with us since uh, for ten years. You know, Bill, don't I, I've always felt you know growing up in the league when it was different as you did, I've always felt that there, I've been concerned and think it's a possibility that when you get 25 coaches, we're all trying to, you know, become somebody and rise up. It's, it's hard. You know, you, you need to speak to your players with one voice and you know what I mean? And, and, and everybody's, if you got 25 guys, how do you maintain that discipline so that the message is consistent and the same from the head coach or at least the coordinators on down. That that feels like a real danger to me when you got that many guys around in players' ears. Well, it can be, but the but the um, that that's the head coach's responsibility to control that. I know. And so, for example, um, the assistant position coaches um, should not have anything to say other than what they're told to say by the position coach. Um, they do develop relationships with the younger players because they work with them. But I, I, Tony did this, and and I spoke to many coaches uh, in the in the Bears search who who have adopted this philosophy. The the head coach runs the scout team, and it does two things. Number one, it makes the scout team guys know that they better hustle and do a good job and give a good picture, as the case as the as as the phrase says. And secondly. It gives the head coach an opportunity to get to know the guys that that he doesn't see on a regular basis, the practice squad guys and people like that. And so, the the you know the the assistant defensive backfield coach is 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 really he's not even doing the cards anymore. All he's doing is drawing up the cards and giving them to the head coach to hold up because the opposition's plays are runoff cards. That's that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. And, and the computer generates the cards anymore. Now, anyway, you don't even have to draw them in the old <laughs> days. We had to draw them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you had, to have, you had to have a good penmanship and something called, believe it or not, a loose saving ruler, which had the X's and O's on it. So you could trace it on the ruler. Yeah. Kind of hard to make those straight lines. Otherwise. That's, yeah, that's correct. Yes. Uh, um, so now the computer generates it. But 
that's what they're doing. And and unless the guy's a rogue guy, he he he's not he's not getting in players' ears and and giving them strategy or things like. That. I wonder if in some of the more dysfunctional places that that's happening. Let me ask you something else. And I've I've mentioned this to you before. Uh, you know, it's the difference between being a the, the qualities of being and you're, you're obviously just involved in this. The qualities you look for in being a great head coach versus necessarily looking for the guy who's going to be, you, you know, a coordinator on one side of the bar or the other. What are the, what do you see are the primary factors that make someone a great head coach in this day and age when uh, the, you know, the money, the 25 assistants and, you know, Talk about that, would you? First of all, a head coach's job is vastly different from that of a coordinator. Right. The coordinator's responsibility is to is to coordinate his platoon and run the game under the direction of, of the head coach. So if you're a defensive coordinator and you've got your platoon prepared and it's third and five in the fourth quarter and uh and you want to call a uh you want to call a a pressure package and the head coach says, no, I want to zone off here. You, you, you better zone off, you know, because that's his call. That's what he does. He manages the game or in the famous uh, New England uh, Atlanta Super Bowl, coach Quinn should have said, I want to run the ball three times. If we have to, we'll kneel down. I want them to use up their timeouts. I don't want Don't call a pass. Don't, don't, don't even think about it. And sometimes, you know, it, Pro football is a little bit different, you know, especially when it gets to senior coaches and senior management people. Um, discussion is encouraged. And uh, and I've heard many times where an assistant coach would say, no, no, that's that coach. That's not what we need to do here. That's not in the game plan. And the coach said, hey, who's the head coach? Right. Right. That's the way I want to play. So uh, that's not uncommon. Um, so it's a different job. And then you find out that you got to coach 50, 53 guys in, instead of 23. That's a big difference because you have different personalities on the offensive side of the ball. Very different. You know, a guy might be a great defensive coordinator or a great offensive coordinator because he really meshes with the quarterbacks and he meshes with the offensive linemen. And he walks into a team meeting and Here's all these guys on the defensive side of the ball who thinks he's a, they think they think he's a wuss because right. <laughs> yeah. you know he's been hanging out there with the quarterbacks or that he favors the offense. Okay, that's not uncommon either. Yeah. Uh, so uh, um, you know you you have to be able to reach those guys, and in order to do that, you have to have a vision of what you want the team to be. You have to be able to enunciate that. You have to have the communication skills to enunciate it and to convince them that what you're doing is appropriate. You have to have the, the, the technical wherewithal to be able to stand up in front of that team every Wednesday and say, this is how we're going to beat the Green Bay Packers this week. We're going to do the following and show film clips and, and illustrate it, that you've got to have the ability to do that. And, and if you don't, you're not going to succeed as a head coach and because they won't follow they won't, they won't believe in you. And then finally, you have to have the strength, not finally, but you have to have the strength to make really tough decisions. I'm cutting this guy because he's been late too many times to meetings. He's a good player. The position coach is screaming, coach, don't do this. We don't have anybody close to him. We, we, we need this guy. 
Let's find a way to reach him. I've heard that discussion a hundred times. And, and, and a really strong head coach is going to say, no, there's 52 other guys in the room that come here on time and, and are prepared. This guy isn't. Goodbye. Right. Right. That, that you have to have the strength to do that. It takes, takes courage to do that. It takes backbone to do that. Uh, Andrew Jackson famously said, one man with courage makes him a majority. That's absolutely true. And a head coach has to have that. And then finally, you have to understand as the head coach, the salary cap. You have to understand personnel systems. You have to understand what the general manager and the personnel director do to set up the board. You just can't come in and say, I like this guy. And you can't be a union shop steward representing the assistant coaches. You have to, rep- you have to recognize that you are management. You're in a, everybody's in the same boat, but some people have bigger jobs than others, yeah, right? right? Yeah. And, and, and so all of those things go into the job of a head coach. It's not a simple job. And, it, and none of those things, except the communication and the vision, uh, are, are concerned with uh, – coordinators are not concerned with that. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all of the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about slow connection either. And plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use code believe, B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Head to nord.com slash believe or use code believe, B-L-E-A-V, to get going today. What I'm about to say might shock you, but the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing, too. He invests in stocks, crypto, and even art. Now you can invest like the goat with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares representing an investment in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And even greater, Art prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1992 to 2021. In fact, early investors have received over 30% IRR from 2020 and 2021 from the sale of just two paintings. This opportunity to join 300,000 other investors and invest like the GOAT. To get priority access with their game day promo, go to masterworks.org. Art slash believe. That's masterworks.art slash believe. One more time, masterworks.art slash believe to learn how you can invest like the goat today. So, I mean, so there are people who are great coordinators, Rex Ryan, who aren't great head coaches or others. And that's just, you know, you know, it's become more complex. But I think I mentioned you once, Sam Ritigliano years ago said to me that a great head coach has to be a great communicator, a great motivator, a great delegator. He has to know the guys he can give stuff to, and he has to supervise them and make it happen. I think some of that is still true and, and is inherent in what you said, but there's a lot more. It, you know, you 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 did a good job of fleshing it out and 
talking about other qualities you have to have beyond. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about the media parts of it, which which are now our owners on the head coach. I mean, I, I don't know how they do it. Right. Um, yeah. I think we'd be remiss, obviously, with what's gone on this week with the class action lawsuit, some of that stuff, to, to not talk about a little bit. I mean, obviously, both of you have dedicated kind of your lives to these topics in, in an unbelievable way. Do you think that the system is set up the right way? Are we getting the right candidates through the system? Are we at a weird moment in history, to your point earlier, of coaches who are getting an, an advantage through you know being a quality assistant early in their careers? Do we have the best system? Are there tweaks that we can make to I me? Mean, obviously, we talked about this last week, but I think it's something we've all thought about, obviously, for a long time and thought about a lot in the context of, you know, w- with Coach Flores this week. I mean, what are your guys' kind of thoughts on that? Well, let's put the lawsuit aside because there are allegations in there that are unproven and, and they'll, they'll be proven one way or the other yeah. and, and address the larger the larger topic. The rules that are in place right now, and I've had to work with them um, you know, over the past uh, three weeks are wonderful. They're great. They extend the process. And I would even extend the process a little further. I would say that no coach can, who's, who's not in the, no coach who, who is in the playoffs can be interviewed until after the, after the uh, divisional round. Okay. Why, so, why, why would, why would you Because do to do the interview and while you're trying to prepare your team. Right. Is, is a disservice to that guy. It's hard for him to interview, really hard for him to interview, you know, because he's stressed. He's trying to get his team ready to play, his platoon ready to play, their coordinators in, in almost every respect. And, and uh, my heavens, they're trying to carve time out to be prepared for, for interviews. And, and they don't know who, who, you know, you can't prepare that. You can prepare in the summer to some degree, but you don't know what team's going to want to interview you, so you don't know their their um, their personnel in depth. What happens is they go to the pro, pro personnel director for the team they're working for and say, "Give me a write up on the Chicago Bears." <laughs> and, right. and, but but they don't you know they don't know the guys inherently. They don't know them in depth unless they played them and, and gotten ready for them. So if you're in the AFC and you're coming in and interviewing with the Chicago Bears. You're going. You're getting your personnel guy to give you your per, pro personnel guy to give you a rundown. You're trying to trying to mesh that with what what you know of the players in in, in previous iterations. It, it's just very difficult. So I would say, you know, once you're eliminated, you can interview. If you're not eliminated, then you got to wait until after the divisional round is over, and 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 then you can then you can you know that's going to extend it some. Uh, but so what? You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, this idea that you better hire a head coach fast or he won't get a good staff is utter nonsense. Right. Utter nonsense. If you ask head coaches who are interviewing who's on their staff, uh, they'll give you five guys will give you the same offensive coordinator right. <laughs> and five guys will give you the same defensive coordinator. It's it, 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 that, that That's a media creation that, and an agent creation that is not – real so coaches have to have three and four and five choices for those positions because not everybody's going to get the guy they want and it doesn't matter when you're hired that's that's the only change i would make the other rooney rule tweaks i thought were really good um they really worked and and it might be that they the league might want to think about 
expanding a little bit the requirements of how many people you need to speak to. Maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not, that, that's just a maybe. The idea that coaches who are in the playoffs need to coach in the playoffs and not interview is, is that that's clearly, that's clearly a, a tweak I would want to make. And then finally, and this is the answer. If we want to increase minority coaches representation in the head coaching ranks, we need to increase the number of minority co coordinators they are in the league because there's absolutely no question that head coaching candidates are coming from the ranks of the coordinators, period. I'm not sure that that's, that that's a great thing necessarily, but it's a thing. Right. <laughs> it's a fact. So you might as well adjust to it and say, okay, how do we get more minority coordinators in the league? How do we do that? How do we are do that? Are there any rules in terms of for for coordinator positions like the Rooney rule for the head coach for candidates that you need to interview for coordinators? Or is that just sort of. Yeah, no, no, no. First of all, now they put in a new rule, which is great, that a position coach from one team who's under contract cannot be blocked from being a coordinator for another team. OK, so that's good. That's a big step in the right direction. Uh but but you still need to you still need to make sure that we have more minority coordinators. I haven't I haven't done the math, but it seems to me that there are more minority coordinators on the defensive side of the ball than there are on the offensive side of the ball. So that's but but training and developing coordinators is what you need to do. When you when you get when you get to fifty percent representation among the, the when you thirty two coordinators right who are minority. You're going to get many more minority head coaches. That's the bottom line. Simple. So let me see if I can um, bring a little context to this. Um, in the early 80s, when I was at the NFL Players Association, uh, I was one of, along with Ed Garvey and others, I was one of the founders of the Committee on Racism in the NFL because, as Bill well knows, at that time, there were no black head coaches. There were no black general managers no black offensive or defense coordinators. The only front office guy I can even think of who wasn't a general manager, but he was a fairly significant front office guy was Tank Younger with the Rams in, in those days. I mean, you know, there've been a lot of deep studies done about this. Uh, aside from what Bill's talking about, I mean, the, the question is, is why, and it, back in the eighties, it was a majority black league, but now you have a 70% black uh, representation in the league. Uh, so, you know, people ask questions like, is there overt racism? Uh, you know, back in the days of George Preston Marshall, there clearly was. Um, you know, now, is it someone saying, I'm not going to have a black uh, head coach? I don't, I doubt that. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the ingrained social process of, that have been demonstrated, not just in football, but again and again in corporate America and places where, People feel more comfortable with people who look like them, who talk like them, who seem like them, who, who move in their social networks, uh, not in the new sense of social network, but, you know, in, in the classic sense. Um, so is there is there a burden that black people being black people in America have to overcome for any job? I think there's it, undoubtedly uh, that's true. Um, Dan Rooney, to me, was a shining light. I mean, you know, not only did. Has Mike Tomlin been there all the time? But Dan's the one who introduced the rule. Bill, I, I guess the question to me is this idea of 
requiring certain interviews doesn't really seem to be working. Uh, you know, we're, we're now only one head coach away from where we were back then. I mean, so, you know, it, obviously the lawsuit claims that the, the interviews were perfunctory, were not, were not real. We don't know the answer to that, whether it's true or not, but it just seems like getting somebody an interview by, by fiat is not enough to somehow, whatever the reason is overall for the paucity of Black coaches in proportion to the number of Black players, that interviewing per se, rules acquiring interviewing, um, are not getting us there. So I'm not, you, you can't go to a quota system. These are 32 independently owned um, businesses with you know their, their owners each making a decision. But uh, to me, you know, the, the numbers tell the story, as we, as we always say, uh, you, you are what you, you know, what, what, what it's not just on the scoreboard, but you are what your organization is. And it, I think more has to happen. Uh, somehow minds have to be changed. Conditions have to be altered. And some of it is exactly what Bill talked about, creating pa better pathways. But, there's a, but there has been and continues to be a very serious problem, an unacceptable disparity between people who are running football teams and people who are playing for football teams in the National Football League. Well, I, I agree with some of what you're saying. I think some, I, I disagree with, with, with some of it. First of all, the fact that the league is 70% minority doesn't mean that you should have 70% minority head coaches. That, 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 you know, that's a quota, too. I agree, but it, it, but it shouldn't be that there's one. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Second of all, um, there is about seven coaching vacancies in any given year. That's where we've come to. That's a sad fact, as a matter of fact, but that's where we've come to. Almost at a quarter of the league turns over every year. So you're running through coaches at, at a rapid rate. David Culley, for example, one year in Houston. I mean – what the heck is that all about? What can you really learn in one year? I mean, of course. And the and guy did a hell of a, hell of a job. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was a stripped down roster and he won four games. And they played hard, really hard. What the heck is that all about? Exactly. Which proves, which proves that unlike the global point of view that Rick just took, these are 32 individual decisions made by 32 individual owners in the final analysis most of whom don't know a damn thing about coaching. Dan Rooney does. There are plenty of owners that don't. And, and they're relying on others to help them make that decision or they get headstrong and decide that they're going to make it themselves based on feelings or something of that nature. So there are 32 separate sets of circumstances that come into play. That's not politically correct to say, and people don't like to hear it, but the, that's a fact. Now, it's also a fact that regardless of skin color, People gravitate when they hire toward people they know. Yeah. In any people job. People they've worked with. And, and that's true for every profession in the world. Any job. That's correct. So if you get more and more minority coordinators working hand in glove, as in Buffalo, with assistant GMs and, and people like that, when that assistant GM goes and gets his own head job, as Joe Shane did, he's going to turn to somebody he's, he believes in and has worked with right. 
for the last four years in Buffalo, Leslie Frazier or Brian Dable, right? So the more minority coordinators you get, the more they will bond with people who are potential general managers. That's just the way it is. And so, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's where we, that's where we need to get people into the pipeline. And once that happens, then you're going to see more and more people uh, of, of color come to the fore. Uh, I can't, I don't, I know of two minority general managers who've been hired this year. Yep. Right. You were involved yeah. in one of them with one of the. Yeah, I was involved in one of them. Right. Exactly. Right. Now, why? Because the pipeline is full of young, up and coming, bright, uh, intelligent, experienced, not, not completely fully experienced yet, but with a lot of experience, minority people on the scouting side. We interviewed 13 potential general managers, uh, nine of whom I believe were, uh, were minorities. Yeah. That pipeline is full. Right. And more and more people are coming through it. We need to get the pipeline full on the on, on the coaching side. So, Bill, yeah. was there anything done to increase that pipeline on the general manager side, to increase that pipeline that could be replicated on the coaching side? Yeah, we hired we... more. Yes, yeah. Let's go back to my original premise. There were more and more scouting assistants who were hired at, 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 without the league pushing anybody, by the way, at the, at the individual. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Was there like a program or something for this? Or well, yeah, just there, 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 okay. there's a Stanford program to help those people grow and things like that once they're in place. But every team has scouting assistants. And, and virtually every team, in, 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 including the Colts when I was there, those are entry-level jobs. We, we integrated those jobs. We said, hey, you know, for every, every one uh, uh, non-minority uh, we hire, we're going to try and hire a minority. Right. Uh, you know, the Browns general manager was one of those people right out of Harvard. So that's where you start. That's where you fill the pipeline. Now that's okay on the coaching side. We got plenty of uh, plenty of minority coaches in the league, just like we have plenty of minority scouts in the league. Not, I, I don't mean plenty in the sense that there's enough. I right. mean that there are a lot of them, mm -hmm. uh, but they're yeah. not ascending to the coordinator positions. And, and principally on the offensive side of the ball. Now I'm saying I'll do a study uh, when this is all over with and 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 uh, and break it down. But I, I'm I'm telling you. From anecdotally, there are not enough, uh, you know, minority offensive coordinators. It's really yeah. that simple. And, and Bill, I, as I think I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe this is, you know, like there, there was at one point in the league with the gentleman's agreement, you know, decades and decades ago. None of that exists. None of that exists. There's no 32 guys getting together saying we're not going to hire black. You know, in fact, if anything, I'm sure, you know, there is a desire to do that just to be with the times. But, you know, they're, they're, you know, look, it goes back to, in the end, uh, the systemic, the endemic racism that there is in this country. And it, this because this is nothing unique with the National Football League. This is true in businesses. This isn't true in, in you know, in, in, in all kinds of institutions. We're, we're still fighting the vestiges of, you know, the historic wrongs that have been done. And we have to find a way to do it. My only thing was saying it didn't seem like to me, Bill, that and you're right. It's it's putting candidates in the position where the people who are making the decisions feel comfortable with them and know them. Because it just. But my my feeling was that even doubling the Rooney Rule during the two interviews, just the interviewing itself, 
is not the solution. That wasn't enough to actually change things just because you get a guy interviewed because it hasn't worked. It's been around a long time and we are where we are. So I'm saying part of what you, is what you're saying. And there are other things that just have to take place so that organically we, we get the opportunity to have, you know, exactly. It doesn't have to be 70 percent, but, it, you know, but a reasonably reflective um, proportion of people who are coming out of a football background and are, you know, have darker skin than the guys who don't. So that, that's my only point. And uh, it, it's very different. It's very different than it was a long time ago. It's very different than it was recently. But I just feel like we need, there, there needs to be some mechanism to help that along, just like there has been affirmative action in other aspects of American life where not quotas, but affirmative action, which the, which the NFL has undertaken in many ways, it just has to be the one that we finally find is effective. Two, three things go into the hiring of a head football coach. The first is the owner's proclivity. The second is the owner's um, acuity in, in knowing what it is that he wants to hire. And third, the other people that are involved in the decision. Now, when I was in Indianapolis, it was myself and Jim Mercy. I formulated the list. I updated the list every year. We sat down and we talked every year about it. And so we knew who was on our list in a given year. I don't know that other clubs do or do not do that. Um, secondly, I, I sat down this morning and drew up a list of six minority head coaches who if I were doing a search next year, they would be the first people I talked to, right? right. Now, mm -hmm. many of them are young. Some are not even coordinators. So at some point, as someone said on television yesterday, you may have to take a chance. And that's what that's what Mr. Rooney did with Mike Tomlin. He'd only been a coordinator for one year, I believe. Yeah. And 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 so Mr. Rooney said, okay, this is important. The fact that he's got only one year and, and all the other considerations, I'm going to take a chance. That isn't always going to happen. But over time, I'll bet you if we convene five years from now, the six names who are on my if we convince convene three years from now. The six right. names were on my list would, yeah. will, will, will have been hired. That presumes that presumes that owners are listening to people like myself, Ron Wolf, Charlie Casserly, Shaq, people like that who know what they're looking at as opposed to media right. and agents. The media yeah. gets their list through agents. We don't give our lists out. The media gets the list through agents. Yeah. And the agents are pushing right. people. Right that may or may not be qualified. So that's part, that's a huge part of the problem. Huge part of it, yeah. Who I mean, is the owner listening to? The guy on television that says, Rick Schaefer is definitely a head coaching candidate. How does he know? Right. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. Well, well, I sent him that letter telling him I was a great That's athlete. exactly right. Your agent called him and said, hey, listen, if you get a chance to mention Rick Schaefer, uh, please do. Yeah. But Bill, um, you've you've not just talked about this. You have been one of the people who did this. Yeah. Yes. And and that and matters as recently as last week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this isn't like. But this is where I think your voice on this subject is so vitally important. Just to so you you did it when you actually had the power, and you did it when you just had influence as an advisor. And that that what you're saying is part of it too. You gotta listen to the right people. You got to and you got to listen to people who are not only technically proficient but also have their hearts in the right places. 
Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. And, and you know, I don't want to get into the into the Bears process too deeply, but we had a five person committee, which included two minorities and, and, and a, a woman who happened to be a minority. They were all marvelous, marvelous contributors. I learned a great deal from working with them. And, and that's an example of how you how you not because I was involved, but because George McCaskey wanted to do it the right way. Um, not every club does that. Not every club does that. And, and so you just have to keep the pipeline full. I think the new ruling rule tweaks have been, you know, I've worked with them. And, and some people would say they're cumbersome. I don't think they're cumbersome. I think they're great. I think they give you an opportunity to cast a wide net and, 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 and to see a lot of people. And I can assure you, I can assure you, Rick, you, you don't believe this, but I can assure you that those interviews go a long, long way even if you don't hire the person to telling you, Hey, this guy is really pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a finalist. We had three finalists. We could only hire one. I'm in the process now of calling people around the league saying, Hey, by the way, this guy was great. Right. Yep. Yep. Put him on your list. You got him on the radar. Yeah. Get him on the radar. Cause in any, any industry like this, people talk, and uh, reviews coming from people that interview properly and, and have great interviews in other places can't, I, I don't see how it can hurt. No, it can't hurt at all. It can't hurt at all. Bill, one, one stupid fan question. Is there a position in particular on the offensive side of the ball from a position coach perspective that have historically made for the best coordinators? No, uh, not, I can't answer that because I haven't done a study on it. Uh, I can tell you that the, that the, the general belief is, and it's, it's, again, anecdotally and generally true that the ascension is from quarterback coach to coordinator. Yeah. However, uh, you know, you look at uh, any number of offensive line coaches who, who, who would be perfectly wonderful head coaches. So I don't think there's any one position. But right now, the, the tendency is to believe that quarterback coaches become offensive coordinators and, and, and so on. And, and it's, you know, there's some anecdotal evidence that says that's true, but that's, that's an area that, that that's an area that we need to, we need to look at and develop. That's an area we need. And, and that's the one area that is a, is a, is a sure shot to ascension to the head coaching job, because who are you, who are you going to interview when you make your list up? the coordinators and, and, and the rising stars. And everybody, by the way, knows who the rising stars are. It's not a secret. Right. Yeah. Not, when I say everybody, I mean the people inside the league, yeah. right. the, pe- the people who, who, who know football, they know who the rising stars are. Well, the, the key is you've just got to be an offensive coordinator in Washington and you're a rising star. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> the, the, the key is being an offensive coordinator with a good quarterback. <laughs> well, what's crazy is, None of these guys had great quarterbacks when they were here. No, that's true. I mean, think, think of the quarterbacks Kevin O'Connell worked through while he was here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's but, true. Uh, so what you're saying is, what you're saying is, Scott, Washington is a good place to get out of. It is. It's the best place in the world. It's a place to get out of, spread your wings, and spread victory elsewhere. But that's all going to change here. Well, Bill, before we end, because obviously this was an important and great conversation to have, I'm sure as we head into any Super Bowl week, this is a week where you think through certain games, 
some of the Super Bowls you were in. This is a game we have not gotten a chance to talk about a ton. I'm wondering when you think about your your last Super Bowl in Indianapolis, Super Bowl 44 against the Saints, what are some of your lasting memories of it as, as, as you head into this game coming up? Are, are there any sort of takeaways we can take almost uh, from 10 years ago from that game? Yeah, three things. Uh, the, the first is um, the third and one. Uh, late in the first half that we failed to make because we didn't have a big blaster back to make it. And, uh, and, and had we, had we, uh, uh, had we retained possession of the ball, the Saints would never have gotten it. And I think they ended up getting a field goal or maybe even a touchdown before the half. I can't remember which uh, because we, we had to give the ball up. So that, that, that was, and I kicked myself for that because I, uh, you know, for years crusaded to have that big blaster back, which we did when we won the Super Bowl. It was Klecko who played fullback in the short yardage and goal line offense. Uh, he was 310 pounds or 20 pounds. That's who you need in there. Uh, getting him on the roster is, is finding him's easy. Getting him on the roster isn't quite so easy. So that's one. The second is obviously the onside kick. Um, you know, that, that, you need to have guys with great hands on that team period because you never know what's going to happen. And then the third is, is stupid and foolish, but it sticks with me more than any other. <laughs> I'm very superstitious when it comes to certain things. Uh, you know, not, not everyday superstitious, but pretty superstitious when it comes to game. And uh, so I, for example, I wore the same suit to the draft every year, you know. For how many years? A lot of years. I'm just you still, I'm just do you still have the suit? Yes. Uh, no, we gave it away, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but in this particular case, we were the home team. So we had a choice of locker room and, uh, and, uh, and jersey color. And so we were going to play again in the Orange Bowl. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in Miami, in the in this Miami Stadium with about with it uh with the I Dolphins. It, might, it may have been hard rock at that point. I, it was hard rock at the time. That's correct. The players, the senior players came to me and said, hey, we get the choice this year, don't we? We get the choice of locker rooms and benches and jersey color, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Let's go with blue in the home team locker room. And I said, wait a minute, hold it. We won in white in the visiting team locker room in that very same stadium. Why, why do we want to break the skin, the, the, the string here? And the answer was, oh, that locker room's awful, man. It's terrible. It's so cramped and crowded, and we're in there so long, and the halftime's so long. And, yeah, okay, well, I grudgingly gave in, and I'm sorry I did. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm assuming I'm assuming in the hierarchy of the games that got away, the giant games probably number one. This is probably number two, right? Yeah, this one's yeah. 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 This is this is you never forget a loss anyway, no matter where the loss was. But in the Super Bowl, that's the one that, that, that hurts the most because it is, of course, the biggest game. It stays with you forever. You get you get beyond it, but but you don't forget it. 
Because I was I was even thinking about it this week with the Kansas City game with the decision at the end of the first half or the the play that Mahomes made thinking oh, yeah. about that Super Bowl game and wondering for somebody like you does this give you agita about the third and one call where you're just like okay I need to do something else with my Sunday afternoon? Well, it, it isn't. No, it, I mean it doesn't drive you out of the game. But the but the but but I I understand where Andy was. Um, that's a whole separate discussion. But that is the seeping in of the go for it mentality. They, they, you know, Paul Brown said to me 30 years ago, echoed by Mike Holmgren 10 years after that, in the playoffs, points are precious. Never leave them on the field. TTP. Take the points anytime you can. Yeah. Yeah. And both Andy and Mahomes, mostly Mahomes, because he could have thrown the ball out of bounds, tried to make plays that, that that weren't it. Mahomes should have thrown it out of bounds, kicked the field goal, take the three points, and you're home free. It's all different. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I think yep. we should. I think those of us on the show, our coaching mantra for next year shouldn't be TTP. It's not related to travel. It's take the points. Take the points. Take the points. That would be my that would be uh, my mantra in the next season. All right. Well, next week we will give you our full in-depth preview of the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a fun one. It's a tough one for us here in D.C. as uh, the Sean McVay McVay Bowl will uh, be in full effect, but we will get through it. Uh, Thank you, guys. I thought this was a really great conversation. It was important, I think, to give Bill's perspective on it being such a pioneer in this in this part of the the game and the league. So it was great to get everybody's insight. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Scott, root for those COs. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a fan of the commies now. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Oh, no, we can't do that. Scott, because I think this is people just joining for the federal government. You don't want to say that. I know. But the thing that worries me the most, because I think people have been joning on it all week, is that they're going to say when when the commanders have a great play, they went commando. And it's just like, guys, come on. How are we going to do this? Also, there is a weird authority. If they're going to stick with the theme song, which I've heard a rumor that they're going to, Hail to the Commanders or Hail to Commander has a very authoritarian rule kind of ring to it that I'm not sure I'm cool with. (laughs) I mean, FedEx feels bad enough to be sitting there screaming, Hail to the Commander. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think they went Commando rubs me a little bit more the wrong way or the guys a little bit more who'd be going Commander. (laughs) it's, uh, It's interesting. All right, guys. All right. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.